like my T-shirt? They're available. Just give me your orders and we'll arrange for them to be printed for you. They're $50 each. No, they're not. I want to move a bit closer. Beginning of this year, back in January, we decided that we would focus on a theme after the pastoral team, pastors and elders last year gathered together on a couple of mornings, having spent a few weeks, months praying and asking God what is the theme for this coming year. We met over a couple of mornings, as I said, and we brainstormed, we shared what God had been laying on our hearts and a couple of things started to emerge. And then out of this whole brainstorming experience, we tried to encapsulate it Uh, under five key points or five key concepts. But the overarching concept is one of building loving relationships. That's to be our focus for this year and it's our specific focus for this next term. And as David has reminded you, there is Bible study material prepared for that and I encourage you to grab a copy of that. Get into a life group, get into a connect group. Um, But certainly if you're not even going to do that, get the material and do it at home. But it's much better to do it in a context of others small accountability group or whatever. The GRACE stands for this. G stands for genuine. That's where we're going to be today, tonight, next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. Four talks on each letter. Two weeks in the morning, two weeks at night. Being genuine, to be truth tellers. That's where we are this morning and in that passage that Michael has read to us. R stands for being receptive, open being prepared to hear the truth that somebody else is genuinely telling us, hearing not only God's truth to us but also hearing God's truth through one another to us and likewise being responsive and responsible with it. A stands for active, to be involved, to participate, not just to simply come to a church service and to sit there and to absorb but to engage and to be involved, to take responsibility, to be involved. When we stand and sing, to sing. If you know the song, I'll learn the song. When we pray, we pray. When we give, we give. When we do the message time, it's listen and it's respond to and it's get involved in the life that Jesus calls us to be involved in, active. C stands for community. God wants us to be networked together and to know one another and to do that congregationally. So for you to get to know your brothers and sisters in this place. But also we have other congregations and for us to work hard at being A genuine community together. E stands for encouragement. That's both positively as in terms of affirming one another, of lifting up the weary and the downtrodden, but it also means, like G, to speak the truth in love to somebody, to encourage them to be a serious follower of the Lord Jesus. And where you see something wrong, that you will admonish them, you'll point that out to them. And that's particularly our focus for this morning, that we're going to be, we are invited to be genuine in dealing with sin. Our sin. But also, what do we do when we see sin in somebody else? It's going to be one of those difficult, awkward messages where you're going to be thinking a hundred miles ahead of me and well, what about this situation? And so I want you to listen very carefully. This morning we're going to take a look in the mirror. And if you look in the mirror, you look there for a purpose of, oh, of rebuke that child in Jesus' name. Um, and we look in the mirror to either do our hair, see smudges. And James tells us that when we expose ourselves to God's word, the Bible, 
is that if we hear it but don't implement it, don't do anything about it, then it's just like looking in the mirror, seeing a smudge on your face and then going away and doing nothing about it. The whole point of looking in the mirror is ineffective. So this morning we're going to look in the mirror of God's word and we're going to hear truth and I think it'll challenge us. It certainly is challenging me. And But we hopefully will understand clearly what the Lord Jesus requires of us as we seek to follow him. So that's where we're going in a little while. Uh, We have a visitor with us this morning. We have one of the elite members of our church in Lloyd Nicholas who was here with his family, Charlotte. So Lloyd, if you would like to come, and if Charlotte wanted to come as well, but if you would like to take a few minutes, share with us, update us on what's happening for you. Welcome. Morning. Morning. Okay, thank you. Normally you interview me, but... <laughs> oh, do you want me to interview you? No, it's okay. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling good. We're very glad to be here, Charlotte, my wife and I. Um, we've just come from the Philippines where uh, the ship that we're serving on, the Log of Hope, is currently in dry dock. That's where the ship comes out of the water. Uh, it's you know, In this particular dry dock, it, it moves into what's called a floating dock. Uh, and then the whole dock lifts out of the ocean and lifts the ship with it. So it's high and dry, but right underneath it is the water. Very interesting setup. But the ship is there for uh, about two months in the shipyard, and that's one of the reasons why we can get off the ship right now. And, of course, we're visiting our two children, Daniel and Vanessa, who are studying here in Australia. But it also gives us a chance to uh, catch up with each of you and just to share a little bit about our lives as well. We want to share our story, how God is at work in us, and of course that's a story that uh, you are also familiar with. God at work in your life is a story of grace as it is in our lives. Uh, Charlotte and I, we have been with uh, OM for the last uh, 30 years or so. We actually met uh, in Operation Mobilization and then uh, we've been on board the ship a few times with our family. Most recently, uh, we have been based in Germany where Charlotte has been, or we've been, but mainly Charlotte, the primary caregiver, looking after her mother who had Alzheimer's. And uh, I'd just like Charlotte just to share a couple of sentences about how that was for you. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for oh. having us. Um, looking after my mother was not really my choice, but it was something which just came up, and I'm the only daughter. So my three brothers, they're all working, and then, you know... I kind of felt responsible. At the same time, I think for me it was quite difficult to do that because it meant not being involved in the mission anymore, but looking after my mother. And with Alzheimer's, you don't know how long it takes. It can take from anything from five years to 20 years. I looked after her for eight years, and looking back, it was a very good time. Even though I struggled at first to accept it, but then as I was reading my Bible every day, one verse in 1 Timothy 4, no, 5, 5 verse, verse 4, jumped out at me and it says that, you know, children and grandchildren look after your family members, your widows in the family. And looking after family, this is something which is pleasing to God. And after I read this verse, I knew, you know, this is my job description God gave me. And after I, I read that, I felt... Yes, that's what I need to do. I don't need to be, you know, anxious to get involved in mission, 
My time will come again, but for now I have to look after my mother. Looking back, it was very good for me, because God also wanted, you know, we serve, but at the same time God wants to work in our own life. So in taking me out, he gave me more opportunity to study, to read, to pray, to just focus on other things rather than being busy. And of course the children helped in the initial days, and then when they left, I was all by myself with my mother, and Lloyd, of course, supported so looking back, it was a very good time, and I don't regret it. And when she died, then I knew, you know, God also will open up a new door, and he did. And that's why we are back on the ship. And of course, that's a very different life, but a very exciting life. Yeah, about uh, in November last year, we were, uh, well, actually all of last year, we were thinking about what is the next step in our life. I had finished a um, fairly significant project of getting the Logos Hope launched. That took about eight years. And then after that, we were just wondering, what is the next step for us? We were praying a lot and uh, investigating different avenues. Nothing really resonated with our hearts. And then when we were asked to go on board, back on board the ship, that was something that really uh, seemed right to us. I asked a number of people, and uh, they were much very encouraging that we should take that step. And uh, so we, for us, it is a step of faith, even though we know the ship ministry very well and know what it's like to live on board, it's still a new challenge for us and uh, right now my responsibility on board is to lead the Logos Hope community which is a, a group of 400 people living together every day seeking to live out the gospel in a very practical and real way and of course to love the Lord and serve him as best as we can. That uh, presents many challenges uh, for us but the Lord gives grace and strength and uh, we're thankful you know, for his presence with us. We're also extremely thankful for for you as a church. I, I am fully aware that many of you probably don't know us that well, uh, but we know that you pray for us and support us financially, and that is a great, really a great encouragement to us. It, um, it helps us pretty much every week, that knowledge that uh, we have a group of people that are praying for us is really a wonderful, um, it's just a great privilege, and we're very thankful for all of you and just for the church as you continue to uh, walk the journey with us in this adventure of faith. Thank you very much. Before you hand over, the, uh, we'll put it in the prayer and praise notes, but some prayer points. Pray for you now. What would you like us to pray? Okay. Um, prayer points. Uh, we are travelling for the next few weeks and um, I'm involved in a number of uh, conferences uh, in the United States and also again uh, back in Germany and then we return to the Logos Hope in the Philippines early June. So just to pray, I think, for health and strength and uh, of course Both God's going. Word. Both going together? Yeah, yeah. thankfully. Good. And then I think, um, you know, leading a, a community on board the Logos Hope is a, it's a great uh, privilege. It's very exciting, very busy but there's also many challenges and uh, those challenges are all related to helping 400 people live and love together. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. Yeah. Uh, just pray for me because the, the whole community looks to me, uh, not some, well, they look to me for direction, for words of advice and counsel, but more that uh, I'm a model before them. That's huh. my biggest challenge, living huh. uh, according to God's word. Yeah. Mm. Easy to say, isn't it? Harder to do. Yeah. Yeah. It is the challenge. Okay? Thank you. Let's pray. Don't move. Let's pray, everybody. 
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Lloyd and Charlotta, for the family. We acknowledge Lord and we are grateful to you for your direction on their life. Thank you for being with Charlotta and as she cared for her mum in those final years and for the way that you nurtured and grew Charlotte's experience. We thank you that you have directed them back to the ship. We thank you, Lord, for this window of opportunity both for travel and for ministry. We pray for safety in travel, for your blessing and anointing as Lloyd and Charlotte share in conferences and in relationships. And as Lloyd has said, I pray, Lord, that you might enable them as a couple to be a great model of following the Lord Jesus passionately that you'll give them both wisdom, that you'll give them words in season to speak to those who need to hear truth at that time. Give them great patience with younger disciples as they likewise seek to follow Jesus 100%. Lord, we thank you for these guys and for their availability to you and for their being totally committed to you. Take them, use them, bless them, continue to provide for them and direct them. We ask all of these things in the name of our King, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you both. Thank you. Okay, sorry. No need to applaud people. I do this every week. <laughs> Thank you, Lloyd and Charlotte. One other announcement, uh, fun activity, the blokes' business. Next weekend, next Saturday, 21st of April, which is my dad's birthday, his 80th birthday, next Saturday. So we're going down there to celebrate that with him. <clears throat> Blokes Business, nonetheless, are having a fun day. It's a four-wheel drive day. Who likes four-wheel driving? All four of you, there is something <laughs> thrilling to happen. If you meet at the church here before 8 o'clock, they want to get away at 8 o'clock, uh, it's open, obviously, to families to come along together. If you're a learner driver, it's a great opportunity for you to get some hours up. There are four stages to this trip. Bruce went on it last weekend in a ute. And he got halfway through the first stage. So it's a four-wheel drive day and there are lots of activities and things planned and so on. What you need to do is, if you're interested, is either see Bruce or somebody on the Blokes Business Committee and there's a sign-up sheet down at the back of the foyer desk. If you go down there and put your name, your expression of interest, because there are some things the team need to prepare for you and have for you, you know, directions and maps and things like that. Thanks, so I commend that to you. It sounds like it would be a fun time if that's your thing. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we are mindful of the privilege that is ours to be able to come together freely and to hear your word, your words that you have given to us, your instructions on how we are to live our lives. So, Lord, this morning as we look into the mirror of this passage, help us to see truth clearly, to understand its implications. And we ask that you might be pleased to likewise assist us, give us a willingness to be fully obedient to that which we hear and understand to be your truth. Lord, may our lives parallel our beliefs. May that which we know to be your will, may it be enacted in our actions. So we look to you, for you to teach us and to direct us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus certainly wants us to be genuine, of course. 
to be solid, serious, fair dinkum. Not to be Sunday Christians, not smiling and nodding at people at church and pretending to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, but genuine. Someone who doesn't say something to somebody's face and then something different to somebody else or about them or whatever. He wants us to be genuine truth tellers. As we have received his grace into our life, his forgiveness, his transforming spirit, so we will be transformed. It's a process, it's not instant. But nonetheless, it's an orientation of life that we will begin improving and becoming better at being truth tellers. Not always easy, but nonetheless, that's the direction to be genuine. The reality is, isn't it, that we all stumble, we all fall. We all do things wrong, we all say things we wish we hadn't, none of us are perfect. Well, what do we do when that happens? I know when I stumble and I say something I regret, wish that I hadn't, then I want mercy, understanding and compassion. When somebody says something, does something to hurt me, my initial reaction is I want justice. What do we do when I see, it doesn't involve me, but when I see somebody else say something else or do something else to somebody else? Person A does something to person B. I see it or I hear it. Then what do we do? Well, a very common response is to simply ignore it. It's none of my business. It's, it's up to them. Well, I think if we listen to this passage this morning, the Lord Jesus would be saying to us, that's not the right responses. That's not my will for your life. We partly wrestle with this passage and the implications of it. Uh, When we see somebody do something wrong or say something wrong, when we see sin in somebody else's life, the Lord Jesus says, were to actually go and see that person privately, not to tell anybody else, not to gain a gang of support, but it's one-on-one, privately, having a conversation and seeking to bring about maybe correction or perhaps some clarification of what was going on. And in the process of doing that, we can become a little bit uneasy, we can become a little bit uncomfortable And we're very good at justifying it, for not doing it. Didn't Jesus say that someone slaps you on the one cheek? What are you supposed to do? Turn the other also. What did the Lord Jesus say about taking a log out of your own eye before you take a speck out of somebody else's eye? Not to be judges. What did the Lord Jesus say in that parable about the weeds and the wheat growing together? The disciples said, Lord, you want us to pull the the weeds out and throw them away? And Jesus said, no, leave the wheat and the weeds growing up together. And God will sort it out when the kingdom comes. Or maybe we justify it. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Who are we to judge? Who are we to condemn? Who are we to have that sort of, and so we can feel a little bit uneasy. And while the Lord Jesus certainly said all of those things, 
and we'll come later to have another look at them. He also says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, terrific. You've won them back. You've restored the relationship. If they don't listen to you, don't give up, don't stop. Come up with another plan. Take one or two others this time so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, that escalates. That's tell everybody, tell the church, this is what's happened, this is what's going on and it's not acceptable. And then you are to treat them as a pagan or a Gentile and a tax collector. They are to be removed. Challenging passage, isn't it? It's what the Lord Jesus says. Well, what does the Lord Jesus want us to do? Are we supposed to turn the other cheek and not judge and not cast the first stone or are we supposed to have this conversation? Well, being genuine followers of the Lord Jesus, building loving relationships in the community of his people, we are to be genuine when it comes to this issue of sin. That when there is conflict, when there is disharmony, we are to be involved, active. Before we go further in this passage, Michael began the reading in the context in which Jesus speaks this. In Matthew chapter 18, in fact, in the first part of it, verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, number one, you've got to have a pretty serious attitude to sin in your own life. You've got to deal with yourself, number one. He uses extreme language. He says in verse 8 that if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, to sin, cut it off. Amputate. It's a bit extreme, isn't it? It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. What's Jesus saying? Well, he doesn't mean that literally, though some disciples at some point throughout history have taken it quite literally. You'll know the genuine Christians by their amputations and their stumbling and their blind-eyedness. I don't see any of you here this morning. So you either don't take... Oh, by the way, I have both my hands, feet and both my eyes too. What does Jesus mean? Well, it's extreme language to say that drastic measures have to be taken when dealing with sin in yourself. That's what he means. Sin doesn't come from my hands, my feet or my eyes comes from my heart. I can amputate my hands, my feet, and I can make myself blind, but I will still be capable of sinning. Jesus is using extravagant language, if you like, extreme hyperbole. Take it serious. Deal with sin. Don't excuse it in yourself. Well, then what about sin in others? What do I do there? Well, a response is also called for. And the the Bible will tell us that we are to be gentle and gracious, cautious and careful, but we are to be clear and to be serious. The Lord Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, See that none of you despise one of these little ones, not just a child, but a young believer in the faith, for I tell you that their angels are beholding their Father in heaven. What do you think, the Lord Jesus says? 
If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what do we do? Will he not leave the 99, Jesus says, on the hills and won't he go looking for the one that wandered off? Wouldn't the shepherd do that? Yep. Because even one sheep has value, is important. doesn't say, well, I've still got 99 and just ignore the one that has wandered off. But everybody is important. And if he finds it, then truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than he is about the 99 who didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Our attitude to our brothers and sisters, the hundred, if one of them stumbles, strays, drifts, starts to forsake the assembling of the brothers and sisters together, is allowing something to tempt them, trick them, deceive them, delude them, pull them away, our attitude is not to be, well, that's their business, nothing to do with me, Our Heavenly Father wants his new community to go pursue them. The shepherd, the Lord Jesus, wants them reclaimed, restored, brought back into the fellowship of his people. That's the context that Jesus is giving for us. Hyper-individualism is simply, it's their business, let them go their own sweet way. But authentic followers of the Lord Jesus, we respect others, and their rights to choose, but we are also committed to others, to one another. There is a network of relationship because we have become followers. Cain's sin, his error, am I my brother's keeper? The world says, no, you're not. Jesus says, yes, you are. We have a responsibility to one another as family members, Jesus uses the language of the family, of children, of little ones, of brothers and sisters. It's a family context. And he cares about lost, straying, weak persons in the church community. God wants us to seek them just like he does. And if we walk with him, then that's what we will be doing. Sin in ourselves requires drastic response. When we see sin in others, it also requires a response not drastic but it is clear and sometimes painfully clear what do we do well Jesus gives instructions to the church then and to us today that if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault just between the two of you the lost sheep you see who is drifting is now living somehow unfaithfully hurtfully, that sin is not just attractive but it's become a habit. If you see your brother or sister sin, a couple of things before we get into the three steps the Lord Jesus gives us. We are talking about somebody in a relationship with us. It's based upon relationship. It's a brother or a sister, not a stranger not an unbeliever, not an outsider, someone who is part of our church family, part of our church community. Jesus is not appointing us to be the official sin police to go around and rebuke everybody where we see sin. That's not what this is about. But it's someone who is part of our church who has been converted, 
probably baptised, probably become a member, somebody who believes, being baptised and belongs, part of us. When we see sin in one another, then there's something for us to do. Secondly, it's not only based upon relationship, it's sin. It's not my personal opinion. I think the pastor, when he preaches, should wear a tie and a a church. I think he should wear a church. Maybe a tie and a shirt would be better. Oh, it's an opinion. I'm not talking about opinions. I'm talking about sin. Sin is where the Bible says you're not to do this. And I can show you the chapter and the verse that you're not to speak that way, you're not to behave that way, you're not to make those sorts of choices. It's what God says in the Bible. It's a sin. And it's a sin that I see or that I hear directly. If I see my brother or sister sin, not someone comes and tells me that my brother or sister has sinned. It's not second hand. If we just push the pause button just for a second, what happens if it is second hand? Because that does happen, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? We do tell one another things about others. When this passage is saying, I should tell the person directly and no one else. What happens if you're on the receiving end of it? What happens if someone comes to you and they're telling you something about somebody else? What should you do? Very quickly you should say, stop. How do you know that truth? And I'd like a dollar for every time the answer is, well, because that person told me. And that's not even direct at that stage. How do you know that's true? Well, I saw them, I heard them then don't tell anybody else but you need to go tell that person. That's what Jesus says to do. And next time I see that person, I'll tell them that you told me what you just said about them. That's what we need to do. Willing to do that? It's tough, isn't it? This is what the Lord Jesus requires of us. Don't tell anyone else you need to tell that person. What I have said in the past is, if you come and tell me something about somebody else, is you need to tell that person. So you tell me how long you want. You want a week? You want two weeks? You need to go see that person. In two weeks, I'm going to see that person. And I'm going to ask them, have you seen them and had that conversation? Do I do that perfectly? No. Do I mess it up? Yes. That doesn't change. That's what we ought to do. And if necessary, if they've told you the whole story, it may not be a long story, they've got it all out before you can go stop, don't say anything else, is you might need to say, let's go together. Let's both go together and see this person. It's a brother or a sister, someone in a relationship, someone we have the right to have this conversation with. It's a sin. If I see my brother and sister sin, then I am to go see them and no one else. It's one-on-one, just the two of us. It's private and not to tell anyone else. Before I go and see them, there are some things that I ought to do. The Lord Jesus certainly doesn't say this, but other parts of Scripture and the way of wisdom instructs us in this. Before you go and see them, consider personally, firsthand, 
what should I say? How am I going to have this conversation? I need to check the scriptures to make sure that it is a sin, that what I am observing is in fact not right. I need to check my own life. Because sometimes you will see a sin in somebody else and you'll see it in them but it's also in you. And that's Jesus' instructions. First take the log out of your own eye. Deal with it in yourself before you try to deal with it in somebody else's life. So check the scriptures, check your own life, clarify in your own heart and mind, I am going to see this person and my aim is to help them to be obedient, to be a better follower. That's my goal. To decrease, to raise the awareness so that they choose not to do this sin anymore. It's to keep the church, in a sense, purified. We're not going to punish, we're not going to condemn, but it's to inform, to challenge, and perhaps even to offer a solution or to offer help. We go as a fellow struggler, not as the self-righteous one who has it all together, here delivering judgment. That's not it at all. It's to approach them. Step one, the Lord Jesus gives us in verse 15, is go and see them, arrange a private meeting. Of course, the Lord Jesus is not talking about, and certainly in our context and society, it's not talking about a crime. If there is some breaking of the law, if it's something awful, to pick a horrible example like child abuse, then the Lord Jesus is not instructing that person to go see the offender. It's rather the scriptures teach in other contexts that where there has been a crime, then you report it to the authorities. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 probably means you report it firstly to the church authorities who then ought to direct you where appropriate to the civil authorities. We're not talking about crimes. We're talking about sin. And sin of such a nature that it's hurting them, hurting others and offending God and we are to deal with it in this way. Not talking about minor offences or minor hurts where the person may have said something to you and it's upset you and um, you could very well choose to overlook that simply to absorb it and to forgive them. But if you can't, well then it does include dealing with those hurts and so on. It's something that has to be faced and dealt with. So whenever we see a brother or sister dishonour the Lord by their behaviour or by their speech, then we have a responsibility if we're going to be genuine, a responsibility to go. We have a command to go. It's not just an option. Jesus said this is what we are to do. To bring the matter to their attention with the hope of bringing healing, restoration, repentance. It has to be one-on-one also because you might be wrong. You may have misheard. You may have misunderstood. You may have misjudged. You don't know the full story. You can only share what little bit you have heard and or seen yourself without talking to anybody else. It's almost like this is the equivalent of they are almost innocent until proven guilty and you're just probing gently. Jesus then goes on to say in that conversation if they listen to you, if they agree, if they respond appropriately as followers of the Lord Jesus, they repent, they apologise, they confess, they ask to be forgiven, they do all of that. 
then that's terrific. The relationship is restored, they've been won back. They haven't been shamed back, they haven't been shown up. The goal is not to go with a view to throwing people out, it's not to embarrass them, it's not to play judge and jury. The goal is, I have heard or seen something which is not right in your life. Can we talk about that? This is what the Lord says, how we ought to behave. I don't want to lose my relationship with you. We don't want to lose you from the fellowship of the church. We want you to stay part of us, but you can't stay part of us with that behaviour. It's unacceptable. What's your response? Well, if they listen, terrific. Won them back. What if they don't listen? What if they're offended, angry, cranky? How dare you? And they're all likely responses. They're sinful responses, but they're likely. Then what do you do? Well, Jesus says, verse 16, step two, don't give up. Don't just wipe your hands off it. Unless, of course, you've misunderstood and they've corrected you. But assuming you've seen it correctly and you've challenged them and they haven't responded appropriately, then strategize, the Lord Jesus is saying, go find one other person, maybe two other people. People are going to be helpful. And arrange to do it again to that person and say, we are coming to see you. And name this person, this person, we're coming to see you. This is serious. Uh, we want to deal with this. They're coming to be objective. They're coming to be witnesses, not to the sin, because they may not have, but they're coming to be witnesses to the conversation that we're having. Witnesses to your response. Witnesses to my participation in it. Taking one or two others with us is also communicating that they are valued, that you're worthy of this effort and of this time. And it may also increase the persuasiveness of the occasion. What if they refuse to meet? Well, then you pray and you ask God to soften their hearts. And If they continue to attend the assembly, then approach them there and see if you can arrange a meeting then. If they're guilty, don't want to meet, and they just leave, they just go out the back door, they just don't come back to church, what do you do then? Well, the previous strategy of verses 10 to 14 kicks in. If one of the 99, one of the 100 sheep strays, then you go after them with a view to winning them back. You don't just let them drift and go. You don't just say, well, so long, goodbye. Don't give up. It's pursue them. And if you think that's hard up until now, it just gets harder. So now we're going to see the person and we've got one or two others with us. We have the meeting and it has to be on the condition that these other people, this one or these two, hold everything that they are about to hear in absolute confidence. They don't tell anybody else. Nobody else. Because if there is reconciliation, then they take this with them to the grave. They tell no one. But if it doesn't go well, if it goes like the first meeting, if the person is resistant, you see now the issue is not their sin. The issue has now become their defiance, their resistance. And it's almost like the assumption that they are continuing to behave like this. They haven't stopped it. They're not acknowledging it. And they refused counsel from a brother or sister in Christ and now from two 
potentially two or three brothers or sisters in Christ and they're a little bit defiant. That's now the problem. That's now the issue that has to be addressed. And Jesus says, well, what happens if that goes south? Well, then he says, you take it to the next level. You take it to the church community. You tell the church. In our church structure and in our culture, that means it goes to the pastoral team, the pastors and elders, it goes to our leaders. And then the leaders call the members together. And Jesus doesn't give specific instructions on how this happens. He just simply says to inform the church. So I assume that that's where the people are speaking about the experience and the witnesses are testifying about the reaction. I assume that the person who is the offender, the one who is being accused, I assume they're present. And if they are, they get the right to defend themselves. They get the right to give their side of the story as well. It's not about condemning, it's about reconciliation, about trying to fix this. That's what it's about. So the church is informed and if he doesn't listen to the church, he doesn't listen to one person approaching him, he doesn't listen to two or three people approaching him and now he doesn't listen to the whole church, what do you do? Well, Jesus says, then you are to treat them as you would a pagan, a Gentile and a tax collector. And I think he means culturally. How did the Jewish people treat Gentiles? How did the Jewish people treat tax collectors? Well, they avoided them. They did not associate with them closely. There was a gap in the relationship. So here is the Lord Jesus instructing his followers Deal with sin in yourself very seriously. Amputate hands, arms, deal with it. When you see sin in somebody else, that also needs to be dealt with. Carefully, but clearly. Without compromise. God doesn't like sin. God does not bless disobedience. If we want to experience the blessing of God, we have to follow through act out the implications and the application of what Jesus is teaching us. We are to deal with sin in one another. What does it mean then to, it's the word excommunicate, to remove them from the congregation? Now this is new territory for me. I've never been in a church that has done that. Often before you get to this stage, the person quits, walks away, don't they? They're angry, they're hurt or whatever. I think the Lord Jesus means, this is as I understand it, we have a conversation with a person who refuses to listen to the church and the church agrees together that we ask them no longer to attend the congregation until they repent, until they admit and acknowledge this is an issue. It's a serious issue. We ask them not to attend the congregation. We ask them not to attend their life group or their connect group. We are to make a separation between them and not to treat them as a brother or sister closely. We are to hold their feet. There are, you are behaving like a person who is not obedient to the Lord Jesus. There are consequences to that. We should ask them if they're in ministry to step down from it and we should ask the members and them not to associate together. 
we should pray for them. We should pray for them that God will soften their hearts, bring them to repentance, have mercy upon them. If we're talking to them, we should talk to them about this issue. Where are you at? Do you acknowledge it? Have you repented? Have you given it up? And I don't feel at all comfortable with this. But this is what God says. So I'm telling you what I understand the Lord to be saying to us. Other passages of the scriptures of New Testament says that we are not to eat with them, that we are to avoid them, that we have nothing to do with them. It's very serious. And it's not with an attitude of we are superior and you are sinful. No way. We're sinful. We humbly, graciously, gently hold them accountable. This is not right. What you did, what you are doing, it's not good. Cut it out. If you don't cut it out, there are consequences. You are behaving like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Therefore you have to be removed to protect the sheep. We remove them not because of their sin. We remove them because of their refusal to repent. The attitude of defiance, of disregard, of a lack of respect to God, the scriptures or to others. That's why it becomes necessary to remove. And let me repeat, we are not spiritually superior. We aren't. We're fellow strugglers. We are not the sin-sniffing police. You point a finger at them, I point three fingers back at me. I am a sinner. Not judging you, but I am evaluating. And we are not the ultimate final judges, God is. We are fellow sinners, but we are seriously trying not to sin. The only illustration I could think of was imagine that the community of God's people are uh, like um, alcoholics. We acknowledge that we have a problem. And someone comes amongst us who says, who says they're an alcoholic, but in fact they drink to excess all the time. To hang around you is going to be harmful to me. I have to do something. It's of that sort of calibre. John MacArthur gives this great quote which is an indictment against the church and I share it with you and I'm part of the church. I have often thought, quote, I have often thought that if I ever fall into sin, Lord, don't let me fall into the hands of those censorious critical judges in the church. Ouch. Let me fall into the hands of the barkeeper, the street walkers, the dope peddlers. Why? 
because so often church people will tear me apart with their long wagging gossipy tongues cutting me to shreds. Ouch. Rob Parsons makes a similar comment in his instructions, a series he did on the prodigal son and his fourth point of application to the prodigal son who has sinned, drifted, come to his senses, repented, returned, been embraced by the father. Rob Parsons' fourth point is pray that the prodigals, when they return, meet the father before they meet the older brother. It's a perceptive comment, isn't it? And sometimes it's so easy to get this instructions from the Lord Jesus wrong, that we drift over into being strict judges when really we are to be humble, gentle sharers, fellow strugglers on the way, but holding their feet to the fire. Well, I'm not sure of your comfort levels this morning, but I have, I thought about why do we avoid this? Why do we ignore this teaching? Why do we modify it, change it, or just don't do it? Well, because it's embarrassing to do so. It's too hard. We may feel that we're judging them. That, you know, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck in your own eye. When the Lord Jesus says that, what he's really saying is you are not to condemn. Don't be negatively criticising. Don't be harsh in your evaluation. But John chapter 7 verse 24 says that we are to judge with righteous judgment. We are to evaluate. We are to discern. Of course we are to determine. Is that right or is that wrong? You are obligated to make that judgment call. Perhaps we don't do this because we have a high level of individualism in our worldview. I take care of me, you take care of you, and there is no no overlap. None of my business what you get up to. Well, I think we've spoken about that. Part of the community obligates us to one another. We don't do it because we're sorry we're going to hurt them, we're going to lose the relationship, they'll never talk to me again. Yeah, it's a possibility. But the only way that could probably come about is because there's reality in what you have observed and you will mourn and grieve the loss of the relationship. Not easy. It's you have lost something. That's why Jesus uses the word, if they listen to you, you have gained something. You've won them back. You haven't lost. But we don't do it because we fear that we will lose the relationship. In which case then, my relationship with you is far more important to me than my desire to honour the Lord Jesus and to walk in obedience to him. My relationship with you is far more important than my relationship with the church community. I'm willing to compromise my relationship here in order to keep my relationship here. It's become idolatry. It's become bad priorities. It might be we don't do this, we avoid it because we've never done it before and we don't know how to do it. And if that's the case, then we need to do some training, some equipping. It might be a good idea if maybe we start with the pastoral team and the elders and we do some equipping there and then maybe train some mediators, people who are skilled in negotiating and listening and reconciling and identify those people in our community because some people are gifted at it and they're the ones you want to take with you 
when you go see the person. Not as backups, but as assistants to restore the relationship. <clears throat> Maybe you still think, John 8 verse 7, we ought not to do this because Jesus says he was without sin should cast the first stone. Well, we should never cast stones. The Lord Jesus is correcting a judgmental attitude which is to destroy. This is not about destroying. It's about reconciling. So yeah, if you don't have any sin, then go right ahead. Judge and condemn. But if you do have sin, then the Lord Jesus says to that lady, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Give up the sin and you are free. That's the attitude. The parable of the weeds and the wheat growing together is misunderstood. The weeds and the wheat are not in the church. The wheat is the church, the weeds is the world. The church will be in the world until the kingdom comes. We're not pulling out the weeds of the unbelievers in the community. It leaves them alone. We have to witness to them and love them. Finally, and confrontively, we avoid this, like I've already indicated, because we don't love God enough. We look in the mirror. We know what we have to do. We may not be really clear on how to do it, but we know what we have to do, and it's too hard. So we compromise. We ignore. We grieve the Spirit of God, and we don't assist our brother or sister in their growth. Summary. Quickly. The Lord Jesus is talking about people that we are in relationship with, people we have a right to speak to. It's first-hand knowledge, not second-hand knowledge. I saw it. I heard it. We're talking about sin. Something clearly in the Bible. Not personal opinions, not personal standards. Biblical sin standards. What the Bible says is right or wrong. We are going with a view to helping, not to hurt and not to harm. We are going in obedience to the commands of the Lord Jesus and we are doing it in private and to no other. If necessary, I'll take one or two others, perhaps those trained mediators, who will also keep it 100% totally confidential. We will pray and ask God's help in this difficult process and we will always seek to bring the person back into a close relationship with the Lord Jesus. That poem that I often quote is relevant this morning. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There is a way that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. I close with Augustine, a very famous church father, commentator, who says these words. If we want Christ's blessing, then we must consent not to evil so as to approve it, nor ignore it so as not to reprove it, nor to be so proud so as to reprove it in a tone of insult or of superiority. If we want Christ's blessing, then we must not consent to evil, not approve of it, not ignore it, and hence not say anything about it, 
nor to be so proud to use a tone that is insulting or giving a sense of superiority. We are to humbly approach our brother and sister when we see there is an issue that they struggle with and that we need to talk to them about. Would you pray with me please? Lord, we acknowledge that you are a God of grace, of mercy, of great patience and that you are a God of holiness, a God with standards. Lord, we face the reality of our own inadequacy. We ask that you might search us and know our hearts this morning, that you might try us and see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in your ways. Cleanse us we pray and Lord forgive us if we've been unwilling to be fully obedient to this instruction of the Lord Jesus I pray that you might give all of us a zeal for your holiness pray that you might um, help us to live in a way that also deals with sin in us dealing with it drastically that you would cleanse us and make us pure. And then, Lord, give us compassion, your compassion, towards one another, to have genuine, honest conversations. Lord, we thank you this morning that you have taught us. We pray that you will assist us to be obedient. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.